I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello, and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I'm Michael. And I am Scott. And we are here, as usual, to talk about someone from the big screen and in this case also small screen who we who we feel <laughs> is underappreciated i had to reword it there because this is been, uh, this has even been brought to us by a listener uh, martin thank you so much martin for suggesting this person and i don't think it was someone we had on our individual list or collective no. list for to talk about so in a way i don't feel like i can say like it's someone that we feel deserves more but martin feels so and actually from doing the preparation for this work or for this work for this podcast it's not work scott is not forcing <laughs> me <laughs> what do do? Um, i'm not paying you either so and no yeah i'm not getting paid um yeah, I, 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 I'm with Martin, I think, mostly. Yeah. Anyway, who are we talking about? Who has Martin brought to the table? Uh, Martin has kindly brought us Lizzie Kaplan. Kaplan, not Chaplin, because for some reason I keep putting a H yes, where there isn't one. You do love to add letters, take away letters, so hopefully <laughs> we will stick with Kaplan. Um, but we'll tend to refer to her as Lizzie, which is fairly straightforward. For sure. And what, were you, what are your... Like overall feelings about Lizzie Chaplin, Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Two, like not even two minutes in. Not even twenty seconds after you said it. Um, what are my feelings about Lizzie? Uh, well, I remember her most fondly and firstly from Mean Girls as Janice Ian, as I'm sure many people do. I. From that film and performance alone, I'm like, yes, Lizzie Kaplan does deserve more. And I think for me, in my mind, her trajectory was interesting because there she was as, as Janice in Mean Girls. And then I feel like I did not see her in anything else for a long time after. And it's not that she wasn't working, but she was doing a certain array of things that I had not seen, but nothing as big until a good few years after. So even just thinking back to that moment, when she was in things, um, I do remember being like, wow, it's her and she looks very different from Janice and isn't that so exciting? I then sadly haven't watched all of it, but I did watch Masters of Sex, the first series anyway, and do remember her being very good in that. And then thinking, you're right, this, this lady's good, she's got chops, we want to see more. But then, although I have seen her in a variety of things before doing this podcast, I did have to catch up on some stuff, um, some of the other main points, because I hadn't seen them. So it's someone that is exciting to talk about. She has worked in both comedy and drama and has proven that she is very capable in both worlds. And with that, I am keen for more from her and I know she's getting really exciting work in TV at the moment um, with an pending you know she's got an Emmy nomination pending uh, on the the upcoming ceremony so it's an exciting time for her but what about you Lizzie she wasn't on your list why Michael why yeah I mean I just echo everything you've just said which is really boring for people listening but 
really, you know, Mean Girls is a film full of really standout performances. Do you know, like, and I, I every time I watch it, something else stands out to me. Um, and she is perfect as Jan- Janice Ian, um, Lindsay Lohan's friend, who is not like the other girls, which, as we'll talk about, Lizzie is is been typecast in a bit, but. Um, yeah, I would have seen her first there, and then, like, yeah, she pops up um, in things, and I'm always kind of happy to see her. And a bit like what happened when we did Eva Mendes, um, Ava Mendes, I should say. I I, I will get people's names correct. <laughs> that I spent hours watching their work. Um, the like, I there are films that are very sort of mainstream that somehow I just never picked up on, like. Hot Tub Time Machine is is a movie I've never seen until this podcast or the interview or Now You See Me too, um, which really missed a beat of being Now You See Me like T O O as opposed to Now You See Me the number two. I know, strange. Um, strange. I mean, that's not the only beat it misses, but misses <laughs> even. But that that's it. But yeah, and then Bachelorette is a movie I have watched a lot, and I really enjoy her performance in that. So that that is kind of. That's it in a nutshell. And and yeah, she wasn't on my list because it, it didn't occur to me what else she could be doing. Do you know, like sometimes, you know, often why we do with this podcast, I'll watch a, you know, like we were talked about last week, Kelly Riley and think, wow, like that's wild. She's given this tiny part. And why hasn't she had a lead or why, you know, in a world with lots of British ladies doing stuff, why is she not getting more parts with Lizzie? I'm just like, oh, nice to see you. But I don't think like, oh, why is she not, you know, doing this thing or this other thing? And don't compare her to her contemporaries. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but I will firm, will obviously in this episode and in the future. Well, I'm hoping that after we release this episode, she hears it and goes, now you see me too. <laughs> now you too see me too. Sure. Could work. No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah. So I, I'm. Thank you so much, Martin, for suggesting Lizzie. And I, because you prepared, you're the one leading this. I'm actually really excited to learn more about her because I don't know much um, at all. Really, is the truth. Well then, shall we jump into the wonderful world of Lizzie Kaplan? Yeah. Let's do it, Miss Kaplan. Kaplan. So, Elizabeth Ann, or Lizzie Kaplan, was born on the 30th of June 1982 in Los Angeles, California. How original. She went to (laughs) school. Whoa. There's like literally no reason to be bitchy about that, any of this. And yet. You found a way to do it. Is this a Mean Girls orientated um, Maybe. Maybe it's the Viber channeling. I've sort of got my hands clasped. clasped. I've got my hands clasped. I'm feeling sort of in that mood. No, I won't. Here Mm. we go. Lizzie. Love it. Los Angeles. Brilliant. Okay. So she went to school at the Alexander Hamilton High School where she attended their Academy of Music. So she initially studied piano. I think she did so, she said, for about 10 years. 
And in an interview, she was talking about becoming an actress and why that happened. And in her answer to it is because I didn't want to be a pianist. And there I was at a performing arts school. So how about I move towards drama, make it through the last few years of school. I quite like my teachers. I want to stick around. So she moved into drama. Um, graduated then in the year 2000, but was certainly feeling the drama mode and decided against college um, to instead focus on acting. And this is something that started off very immediately and in quite a big way. I think when we look at other performers, and hey, she might have done the commercial scene or something like that, which I, I haven't clocked. There, there was maybe other bits in between, but her first credit is quite a standout one. She played Sarah in the much-beloved TV show Freaks and Geeks, and that was alongside some fellow cast members who we'd see crop up again and again in her career. Seth Rogen, James Franco, and the rest of that fairly starry cast reflecting on that. But a wildly popular show. She was in it for four episodes. They were very impressed with her performance in it. They made her the, the girlfriend of Jason Segal's character. So she was noticed from the off and in quite a big way. So an exciting start for her. Uh, she was in that show between 1999 and 2000. So it really was straight out the back, graduates in Freaks and Geeks. And from there, she's kind of off. But then we do have kind of the next few years. It, it's not quite at that sort of place. Um, in 2002, she has an appearance in her first film, which was Orange County, or is it Orange Country? I'm now questioning what I've written there. The Jack Black film. No, County, I'm pretty certain, yeah. Whichever one it is. And she, but she in that is just um, credited as Party Girl. Um, but yes, first big screen appearance. Thereafter that, she has a string of guest appearances on a handful of shows, such as Smallville, um, she played one of the leads in a show called The Pits, which was a sitcom that ran just for one season about a family. That was in 2003. Um, sadly, I will say at this point, there's uh, over the kind of the years of, and she's worked a lot in television, and this is no slight on her at all, but it does seem there's a pattern of she works in a lot of TV shows that last one series, and then unfortunately thereafter cancelled pretty quickly and that goes for many of them um i've not seen them so i can't vouch for if that was unsuccessful because they weren't the greatest thing ever or just one of these tv things which happens all too often as well um 2004 though and we're going to jump straight in she does get a big moment in mean girls playing the ever memorable janice ian mean girls I'm sure a massive movie for many people, well, from our generation and beyond, I think Mean Girls is a pretty transcendent film. It is wickedly fun. It's funny. It holds up still. It tells the story of um, Lindsay Lohan's, and I always say it's like Katie, Caddy, Caddy. Caddy, yeah. Um, who moves to a new school and is then faced with the difficulties of uh, such a prospect for a young woman. She goes to school, struggles to fit in at first. We see her sitting eating her packed lunches in the toilets at the beginning of the movie. But then she starts to make friends. One of those in particular is Janice. Um, and then we are introduced to the world of the plastics, the popular girls in school, um, 
a word that is then gone on to be canonized and used in many ways. I'm sure we all then refer to people from our own schools as the plastics. And the kind of plot of this film, Janice wants to take down the plastics, recruits um, Carrie, and, and I can remember, what's the name of the other friend who's involved in this too? It's terrible. At Damien. Damien, there yeah. we go. And Damien too. Um, they're in this together. Carrie's going to infiltrate the plastics because they can already see she has a way in and try to take them down. Look, she's not going to get away with this again, okay? We're going to do something. Regina George is an evil dictator. How do you overthrow a dictator? You cut off her resources. Regina would be nothing without her high-status man candy, technically good physique, an ignorant band of loyal followers. Now, Caddy, if we want this to work, you are going to have to keep hanging out with them like nothing is wrong. Can you do it? I can do it. Okay, let's rock this bitch. And we go from there. But Mean Girls, yeah. very special film to me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's, a, you know, the same, really. Um, I think it's a film where, you know, there's a lot of shorthand things that we now have in dynamics or referring to a group of people or type of person that come from Mean Girls. So it does feel larger than the movie anyway. Um, even if you hadn't seen it, you'd, you'd know of it, which is, is pretty fun. Um, and from my per own perspective, there wasn't many queer representation. I know the, the the actor playing Damien wasn't out at the time, but and yeah, I I just found that I found that wonderful to have like her group of friends um, before the plastics be quite complicated, but also like fun and weird and like it reminds me. You know, there is a, that trope does exist. Like in Romeo and Michelle, um, Janine, Janine, even Gruffalo and Lisa Kudrow and, and um, Mira, Mira Savino. I got my imagine if I forgot her name. Um, anyway, but you know, like this sort of odd group of people and Alan Cumming, and and I love that in those films. But in Mean Girls, to have like a very explicitly you know, gay person in it, and you know, there was rumors going around about Janice Ian being a dyke. In it so that Janice and Dyke is, is what I always think when I hear her character's name, um, which she doesn't turn out to be in the in the film. But that also, in a way, is like, well, she's she's not conforming to gender stereotypes. Like the plastics are like hyper, you know, feminized. And I don't know. I just think it's kind of it, this is a very positive spin on Mean Girls because I'm sure you could tear it down because it's very like, you know, women on women and. You know, there's 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 quite a lot probably you could do if you did a, a feminist feminist reading on Mean Girls, and it's certainly, you know, if I had a kid, I'd be like, this is really fun, but you know, if this shit happens in a school, this is not okay. <laughs> yes, no, 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 that's that's fair enough. I think, yes, true to a lot of that. I guess it does. It comes back around. You know, it, it there's the wholesome moments to sort of wrap up the whole thing. But yes, it is kind of very much focused on that women tearing women down. However, Tina Fey's writing, she wrote the film, it is mm -hmm. wonderful. The dialogue is sensational. That's why so much of it has just stayed within the consciousness and used all the time. To this day, even though, you know, this film will be 20 years old next year... Mm -hmm. 
amazing. I think it's it's so funny, it's so playful. Tina Fey herself in it is an absolute joy to watch. It's mm. no wonder that you know her career continued to go from success to success after that. But but then she had to do the Kenneth Branagh film, so. <laughs> <laughs> Love. <laughs> that sometimes happens, but also fun. Also what fun is success? There. Tina Fey ass wearing the, wearing an elaborate outfit in a soundstage, pretending to be in Venice. <laughs> I think that is success, my friend. No, that is success. I mean, I'd love to be in a Kenneth Branagh Agatha Christie adaptation. Who wouldn't? Um, but yeah, no, it is great. Great script, great cast. You know, it's it's uh, it's not a movie I actually go back to an awful lot. Like, it's okay. not something I'm, like, w- warmed by or something. But I certainly enjoy it. And if there was a clip on social media, I'd watch it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, no, it is one that I've gone back to many times and will gladly go back to. One that, I mean, it's not so much a thing now where I would turn on TV and it just be on. But it would have been one of those that if I saw it was on when I was younger, then I would definitely be watching it. But what do you make of of Lizzie in particular as Janice? How does that performance work for you? It's funny. So so now, like, and particularly of watching lots of her films, it, it's like really pigeonholed her. Like, it seems like people have that in mind and just cast her in that sort of role. I I think she's very good, like everyone else in it. But unlike many of the other people in it, she hasn't been able to show much range beyond what she did in Mean Girls. What I mean by that is, like, she's she's not like the other girls. She's, you know, fierce. She's a little bit sensitive. She does have romantic in- inclinations, but they are hidden because she's not comfortable in the world. Like, there's a, And I think she does all of that really well, and she continues to do that very well in other things too. But this is the best use of her in that type. So, yeah, she, she's really good. She matches what everyone else is doing is so good and she matches it. And she probably has, you know, quite an, anno- an annoying part to a point. But she also has the bit where she's really the person who points out, you know, this is it, Caddy. You, you've really messed up. You are at the lowest point. You have become a plastic. Oh, God. You dirty little liar. I'm sorry, I can explain. Explain how you forgot to invite us to your party? Janice, I cannot stop this car. I have a curfew. You know I couldn't invite you. I had to pretend to be plastic. (laughs) Buddy, you're not pretending anymore. You're plastic. Cold, shiny, hard plastic. Curfew, 1 a.m. It is now 1.10. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness? You know what? You're the one who made me like this so you could use me for your eighth grade revenge. God, see, at least me and Regina George know we're mean. You try to act like you're so innocent. Like, oh, I used to live in Africa with all the little birdies and the little monkeys. You know what? It's not my fault you're, like, in love with me or something. What? Oh, no, she did not. See, that is the thing with you plastics. You think that everybody is in love with you when actually everybody hates you. And she does it in a heartfelt way. Like, that that line delivery and that scene, like, if that wouldn't be as powerful if it wasn't performed with the nuance that Lizzie manages in that reading. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. Those moments are easy to forget and not because they're not good, just because of what's going on in the rest of the film. But she is tremendous in it. And in the moments also where she's like so angry and, and how she kind of delivers that and, you know, 
you feel the words like she delivers it like they're there you know it's gone from brain to mouth and bah it's like she spits these words out when she's frustrated and i think that adds so much to the character i think it's interesting what you say about her being pigeonholed i i'm not sure i agree because I don't feel like I've seen so much of that, but maybe I didn't revisit some of the ones where you had seen that sort of crop up. But maybe it's also just because she looks so different in Mean Girls. I mean, Lizzie Kaplan is a very conventionally beautiful woman. In, yeah. so in Mean Girls, it's, it's disguised. Yeah. So when I think that was the thing. When I was first introduced to her post-Mean Girls and whatever that was, I was like, I do remember being like, that's Janice? My gosh. But I think she is, I mean, this is the thing. Like, yeah, I do yeah. think she's still hot in Mean Girl. And yeah. they do this again in other movies where it's like, they just give her hair that's not, you know, big and whatever, like Regina George. But she's still a very, it, it, you know, this happens all the time in movies where it's like, wow, that's the, that's the ugly one. And you're like, I'm sorry, but if, 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 <laughs> if Lizzie is the ugly one, you know, there's not really hope for any oh, of us, you know? Very true. No, 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 no. She's, she's but I, I, don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. In that world, it's very true. Yeah. Um, but it it is mad because yeah, there's other other films where she's treated like a friend or like not asexual, but as if like she's not it wouldn't even occur to them. And you're like, this woman is gorgeous. Mm. Do you know? Yeah, it's it's an I really like it as being the key point that we will reflect on and and may forever be the most iconic role in her filmography, and not for bad reason, just because of uh, the devoted fan base that will continue to go back to that film. But it's interesting to reflect on it and see the arc from there, be it in the case you're suggesting, if there is sort of pigeonholing going on or, or working on these similar things, or where things do shift and move into other areas and where to best effect and, and in some cases perhaps less so but she's an exciting person to see so let's then crack on and see what happened to her after Mean Girls so in 2005 she starred in four episodes of a show called True Calling and she would also star in Related for its one season run so this is where we're kind of starting to hear about a few of these sort of pilot series that she appears in. Uh, in 2006, she stars in the thriller Love is the Drug, and this same year was named one of 10 actresses to watch in Variety magazine. So her name was certainly being put out there. One to watch, let's keep an eye on Lizzie. And I think we do start to see that come into play. In 2006, she also starred in The Class, uh, which was a TV comedy following a group of school friends that were reuniting after, I think, 20 years after they were in elementary school, coming back together. Between 2006 and 2009, she would also do voice work on both Family Guy and American Dad. A few years down the line as well, Cleveland Show, so obviously uh, has a, a drawback to the kind of Seth MacFarlane world of these animated shows. In 2008, Eight, um, we see her star in another massive movie and I remember this being uh, this really took over everything for a minute she is Marlena in J.J. Abrams' Cloverfield um, which saw her receive a Saturn Award nomination for supporting actress so starting to see some traction mm -hmm. on the old award circus circus or circuit both well circus mostly both yeah. I think uh, work <laughs> um, Cloverfield now 
do you remember this being as a big a moment or exciting a moment with the, the marketing? It's something that feels like it's since been lost due to the nature of social media and shifts and all that. But do you remember this moment? I was going to say, like, it, it was a bit like the Barbie thing. Like, the, in terms of, do you know, like, I, so I, I get what you're like, it's very rare, I guess it happens. But Cloverfield, I remember the marketing rather than the film. Like I when I rewatched the film, it really wasn't what I remembered. Okay. Um the story's pretty basic. Uh, but the the excitement around it and not just like, oh, this will change your life for it. It's like this is new cinema. This is like as good as anything you'll see. This is like the Blair Witch Project meets, you know, the best sci fi films and dystopian films, all this. And it 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 was exciting. I went to see it in the cinema, obviously, because you know, I'd want to see what the the new hip things are. Even back then, I was trying to be hip, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I needed to see the new Lizzie movie, not Lizzie McGuire, just Lizzie Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. I mean, based on that sort of marketing stuff, where it was this found footage thing, if we it harks back to sort of Blair Witch Project, and mm-hmm. then when it's like, but it has got these known faces in it. So then that's where it's like, oh, Lizzie Kaplan. There's you know. Janice and from Mean Girls, interesting. I'm intrigued to see what she's up to now. And a few other familiar, but maybe not overly familiar faces. So she does work in the context, but it is kind of like, okay, there are some, you know, stars in here that that have been certainly known. I'm interested why they felt that that was what they needed to do with it, if it would have been more interesting, if it was kind of a fully unknown cast. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter on reflection. Lizzie Kaplan, for example, gets the memo. She knows what she's doing in this. She fits the role. She does exactly what's asked of her. Um, I think like you, I remember a lot for the marketing rather than the film itself. Although it is quite exciting and immersive, it, it... it loses that quite quickly. Like the opening is very engaging, and when it starts happening, this alien invasion and mm-hmm. the the Statue of Liberty head crashing into New York City, and then from there it is a bit of a sort of you know monster chase type scenario. But yeah, Lizzie's fun to watch in it, um, and she's good. Yeah. I mean, because the, the the main thrust of the storyline is this man and this woman basically have a disagreement she she goes away then this thing comes and then there's a lot of like commotion and running and chasing as you say but lizzie seems to have i don't know she's the most interesting of the bunch of people that we are continuously (laughs) left with or we lose some of them and i'm just like yeah lizzie you 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 seem to be the most intriguing, um, but they, they're not the most developed, I would say, of character types or, you know, and that's not the point of the film. The film is an exciting exercise, I assume, in terms of it being made and everything. Um, but yeah, it's good. I mean, nowadays it's, it's so to do something like that and then to go to see in the cinema, I feel like you'd need it to be operating on a lot more different levels than this one this movie um but the but the concept itself um probably could be redone i mean they still make cloverfields do they or i don't know how when it ended um but um yeah but yeah i think that sort of movie making is is interesting um but that this one feels of its time and yeah lizzie lizzie's really good in it that she's nominated for awards great like it was a big film was very successful and 
if it was a more traditional film, she would probably be more recognized. Like there'd be like stills of her in it and stuff. But as the, because it's like, you know, found footage and, uh, you know, filmed on this thing that's very jittery. I think it's very hard. To, even I've just seen it like what a week ago or two weeks ago. I still like my mind doesn't instantly recognize her in it or think of her because the the visuals are really, you know, the uh, Statue of Liberty coming down or when you do finally see elements of what is happening in New York. I don't know if it's is it a spoiler. I don't know how to, how to talk about Cloverfield without. But if you haven't seen it, you know, if you're up for a fun sort of simple story that is destructive and quite thriller in tone, then it is a good movie to sit down and watch. Yeah, it's. I guess it also felt the first of its kind, not as a found footage film, but of it as a found footage film on this scale with this amount of money in it, because it was always very, very low budget, the Blair Witches and stuff like this, or even earlier ones. This felt the first to sort of be doing it on that level. And since then, I think we've had other examples, but maybe also not quite to the scale of Cloverfield, because it is going for big ideas. 2008, you know, it's a few years after 9-11, but very much feels part of that sort of post-9-11, looking directly of invasion of space, home city, and in this case, specifically New York. So I think it, it that's the kind of gene, this the seed where this came from and, and, and probably added to why it had that wide interest and might still stand up in certain conversations, academic or not. I, I think it's, yeah, if it's the kind of thing that you jam with, I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it's a solid film. Yeah, for sure. Anywho, let's then move on from Cloverfield and uh, move towards other interesting films. But before that, a few that I don't know that we have seen. Oh, no, I have. That same year she starred in the rom-com My Best Friend's Girl. I remember seeing this in the cinema when it came out. I think it was the first time I actually went to see a film that was, you know, I went in below the age rating it was. So I think this film was rated a 15 and I must have gone and seen it when I was... 14? Does that make sense of the date? So it, a weird first for me. It's sad that I chose this one to be that. It's a I, Jason... I, I was going to say, mine was Titanic when my mum, after weeks of like... The same. Just the boring same. Boring her, she brought me to the... And I, at what age would I have been? I probably like nine. I don't... Yeah, nine. And I and I remember having to... Like, I lied in the most unconvincing way. Oh, I well, basically practiced a... what my year would be. Anyway, they let me in. I was like, I gotta see Kathy Bates in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the draw. Kathy Bates is the main reason anyone would go and see Titanic at that age. Yeah. Love that for you. Then your your story in this case is much more interesting than mine. I chose a shitty Jason Biggs, Dane Cook, Kate Hudson. And, and to be honest, I've even forgotten the title that you said it two week two days ago. Or two days ago, two minutes ago. So Yeah, my best yeah. friend's girl. My best friend's girl. Yeah. My best friend's girl. If it was a musical, that sounds great. Um if you think so. <laughs> I'm less convinced, but thank you for that rendition. Uh, anywho, she, from there, starred in something that was incredibly popular at the time. She appears as Amy Burley in six episodes of sexy vampire HBO drama True Blood. In 2009 into 2010, she played Casey Klein in Party Down. Now, it's not a show that I'm that familiar with, but I, I do know it has quite... 
a sort of cult following and has actually resurfaced this year. And I believe Lizzie Kaplan has gone back to do a guest appearance in the show. But I believe it's a show following like young folks, writers, actors looking to break it into Hollywood and working for a catering company. And I think it follows them as they go through um, catering for different events and the the foibles that come with such a thing. Um, explaining that to people who are fans of it are probably like, that does not do any sort of justice. But anyway, Party Down, very exciting. Um, in 2010, she appears in 127 Hours, big Oscar player that year. She plays James Franco's younger sister. So she's not in it too much because that film, if you have seen it, you will be familiar with the fact it is almost entirely focused on uh, Mr. Franco Trapped. It, between a rock and a hard place or something to that effect. Um she also, though, this year... Have you never seen in... it? Yeah, I have. Oh, I have, sorry. Oh, you were making a joke, and I am getting I know, in there. I was like... <laughs> it was a good joke. I don't know why I thought, like, oh, maybe he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's actually quite sweet of you to step in, but you needn't. I've seen it. I loved that film at the time, actually. It's worth saying that. I thought it was, it was great. It was doing a lot. Danny Boyle, you know... I yeah, another I, another filmmaker, like, you know, after Cloverfield, another film that was really going for, uh, like, te- you know, testing something and successfully. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Fabulous. Well, one that I know you absolutely loved. I did not rewatch this, but another one I did see in the cinema at the time. So I did go to the cinema heck of a lot to see Lizzie in low-rent comedy films. But this is where we have Hot Tub Time Machine. Why don't you tell wow. us a little bit about Hot Tub Time Machine? So what year did are you saying this came out? Twenty ten. Twenty ten. It feels much older to me. Um, <laughs> the story of Hot Tub Time Machine: A group of men reconnect, including John Cusack as the lead, who brings his son, and they all get naked and go into a, t- a hot tub. Great. And it and it brings them back. Oh no, sorry, it changes. Wait a second. No, I'm. It, but it, it just changes. Like they go back in time, to, and it has alterations in the in the future. Obviously, I guess that's a given for most time travel films. Um. So, you know, you you hear them talk about all the things that you know. It's not working out with the wife. It's not doing this. I'm not working in the job I want. All that stuff. And then yeah, they go back and and um, just make similar mistake. Make their lives a little bit better. Um, that's the story in a nutshell. Um, Lizzie plays the woman that John Cusack meets when he goes back in time and brings him on a new path. I can't talk to you. You can't? No. But I'm awesome. I can guarantee that. I'm sure. You see, I have to walk in the exact same footsteps. This didn't happen. Well, it kind of happened. I wish it did. I just saw it. It really did. Yeah. No. I contributed. I I wish it did. All right. Um, she is she is cool in it uh, uh, sorry I guess in the film what I mean is she's positioned as a cool person and she's fun and she's smart like she's smart beyond her years she's not like the other young girls um, that John Cusack seems to be interested in at the time when he was really that age and he she just seems like a good influence on him um I don't really have strong feelings on this film other than 
well, like it's it's the sort of movie that's like casually homophobic for no reason. It's casually sexist for no reason. There's a joke about um, the John Cusack's son says something like, "I go on, I have lots of you know, go on lots of dates," and a, a person, an adult, says back to him, "Yeah, I bet you have. You've got loads of boyfriends, gay ones." And it's like, what? Like, I I don't. I, I understand the concept of the joke and why it's, it's set up that way. I just don't understand, like, why. I don't mm. understand why. So it's that sort of movie, but it also it's not the worst of its kind. Sure. And I find John Cusack a very interesting leading man in that I don't think he's he's ever, like, you know, Tom Cruise or in terms of action films or I'm trying to think of a rom-com sort of person, but he's he, he certainly kind of just is a bit of everything. Yeah. Does that make sense? And I find yeah. him fascinating that way. And so I think he's a good fit. He didn't turn up for the sequel. Um, neither, neither did Lizzie, which is makes sense. Um, yeah. But this was a highly successful film. And I guess people love stories of time travel, of men behaving badly, of essentially becoming domesticated um, is, is a big part of the story and having a happy sort of domesticated life. Um, as opposed to marrying the wrong woman, which is a kind of the insinuation with John Cusack. And yeah, and she's nice in it. Okay. I don't think I'd remember if I'd watched it originally. Like, did you remember she was in it? I can now that you're describing, it especially. Yes. And I think the key point you make about her being positioned as cool is key to that. And I am now remembering her appearing and being that sexy, cool lady. Of course, you're you're going to want to follow this woman and that is where I see her being used in that way over again. I think she does have a natural charisma and a, and a cool energy to her. And I think that comes off the back of, well, herself, but also who she's worked and what she's worked in before and, and sort of creating that kind of legacy on film. But she seems like a cool lady, so I guess that makes sense. I remembered thinking it was fine and liking it at the time, but didn't have a desire to watch it again. Maybe if I did, I would have thought it was absolutely brilliant, but I somehow doubt that. No, it's, you know, compared to, say, Hitch, which we talked about a few episodes ago um, with Ava Mendes, I, I don't think that this is to the most toxic thing. I mean, it's not the most progressive, but it's certainly all right. It's mm. all right, you know. It's all right. Okay. We'll go I probably, right. I chuckled once or twice. Perfect. What you I sound like the hardest point? person to please. Yeah, but I didn't chuckle that much. Okay, right. Well, noted. Audience, he only maybe chuckled twice. So if that isn't a recommendation, I don't know what is. All right, so we're going to hop back into that hot tub time machine, but actually we're going to zoom on a couple of years instead of back in time. 2012 now. Kaplan had two films that premiered at Sundance Film Festival that year. One was Save the Date, and I was kind of wondering whether I should have watched this one. American romantic drama, it does look very Sundancey in 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 a way that so many films are kind of maybe fairly low budget, sweethearted tale. But alas, have not watched it, so I can't comment on it. Have you seen Save the Date? No, no oh, well. heard of her. Don't know. <laughs> so let's move on from there to one that I know you have watched a lot and do love a lot. So the other Sundance film from this very year was Bachelorette, where she plays the character of Gina. So since you're such a fan of Bachelorette, I will put this one to you to talk us through. Yeah, so Bachelorette 
is a, is a, is a story focused on horrible people played by Great. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, Isla Fisher, or Isla Fisher? Isla, Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher and Lizzie. And they are, are pretty nasty. And they, this I should say is a, com- a dark comedy. And their friend, um, who's played by R- Rebel Wilson, and a bit of a like butt of the joke throughout their lives since they've known each other in school, um, is getting married. And these three are pissed off because they cannot believe this woman of them all is succeeding where they're failing. And there's something about the concept that I, I find very refreshing. Like, I don't think we get, we don't get many stories focused on women being awful, you know, like and not being punished in a way like I, I find, you know, they are horrible. They are really, really horrible. Like the the all the worst part which i think is would never be done now and it shouldn't be done in this film is them they're looking they're in charge of looking after Rebel wilson's dress and because of her weight they decide like let's see how many of us can fit in it and then they rip the dress that is i i'm not sure if the film is aware of how like how horrible that is or how i don't know how 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 nasty it is but at a time i think they do know it's nasty yeah. and they are playing it up and it does go along this interesting route where they're trying to mend the dress and then there's james marston who's you know trying to you know engage with kirsten dunst and i think rebel wilson is is pretty good in it as a person who at the start seems really naive and whatever and really has her own like place in the world I, so i this is it i think the film is fascinating i don't think it's perfect but i find it a really interesting film that offers a lot of what I would hope are opportunities for other people to tell stories that are similar to this. Because like, for instance, Bridesmaids is an amazing film, much better, of course, than Bachelorette, but they're not nasty. Like they're, they're, they're very pleasant women. They're more, they're, they're more in line of a rom-com. Whereas Bachelorette, like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are other movies, but like the films that I think of are more sort of campy, thrillers like notes on a scandal do you know like I, I can't think of women behaving in this awful way and then it's just the way they are okay what we need right now is like an epically brilliant plan you know that's what we need so are you ready one two three go leave the country i'm gonna call melissa the girl we got the dress from she's a sh macy that's a brilliant plan how much cash you have i got five max out credit cards i have a 20 dollars. i ripped it i got nothing that sums up your lives I see. So what did you think of it? Because you'd never seen it before. No, I had seen it before. I had watched oh, this one before, but it was... It, I think it was quite hazy in my head. So I will be honest and say it didn't stand out to me the first time I watched it. Um, going back to it, I think I got more out of it, but I still don't find it as funny as I wish I did. Um, there are sequences that really work. The frantic energy towards the end, I would say the sort of last... 20 minutes it really gets into a fun mode and it is as well as funny it it is quite exciting to watch the you know can they make it in time can everything work out as they planned even though they fucked this all up can they make it up to their friend and that bits i really enjoy watching i think dunst and kaplan are the standout people in it but rebel wilson is great and and a key takeaway for me here was we're so used to seeing her having been pigeonholed and bringing mm. out the same shtick over and over again. 
But in this, she's completely different to that and does it really well, this earnest, sweet character, without this sort of goofiness. There's a little bit of it, but without that really broad goofiness that we get from her in most of her other performances. So I think she was really super. I... And I think Isla Fisher, sorry to interrupt, but Isla Fisher is really good. Like, she's playing yeah. her part really well. and is, She is. She's the one that makes me laugh the most. I think she can play drunk and on that sort of thing very entertainingly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, but you're right. Kaplan and John Starr the... Yeah, they are the stars. standouts. And Kaplan in particular here, we, the first encounter we have with her is her sort of coughing awake in bed, like we're taken to understand that, you know, she likes to smoke the weed and yeah, that maybe informs a certain part of her personality and the energy that we get from her. And it's here again where we see that sort of, there's a freewheelingness to her that when it is unleashed, it's really fun. And it's something I do want to see more of from her. I'd like to see a lot of things, but I think when you can harness this part of her comedic chops, it works really well and... She is very convincing in this type of role. So I'm glad to have rewatched it. I certainly got more out of it than the first time. Maybe there's something about not giving it the right attention or, or you know, viewing it in the right way because it, obviously it's one that you've returned to a lot. So I, I feel like I'm missing something. Maybe I'll, I'll give it go number three, but I still think there's, there's fun in it and, you know, it, it coming not too long off the back of the likes of the bridesmaids and... Yeah, it's it's understandable that they were looking to take that sort of thing, take it in a different direction, have it be, as you say, about kind of horrible people and fairly across the board, with the exception of perhaps Rebel Wilson's character. Horrible people. Um, so, yeah. And it was released in an odd way. Like, so it, it was one of the first films that I remember, like a big film deciding to be just released online as opposed to go to cinemas. Right. I don't really, un I can't remember the, exactly why, but I do feel like if it was released in cinemas, it might have had some sort of cult following, whereas it's not a film, it's a bit like Barb and Star is another example recently of I'm like, people, unless they've gone out to seek it or someone suggested it to them, you know, they were never marketed this film. and So it probably doesn't exist for most people. And which is a real shame because I do think... I think it has a lot of interesting things to offer. And and going to your point, I don't think you're missing anything. I think there's certain movies that I really am drawn to that I think are so like close or like are go aiming for something that I don't think has been seen very often. And then I kind of hold them closer, okay. A, because they're probably not that good, but B, because um, I just think there's something special about what they're trying to do. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I hear that. Fair enough. Bachelorette, I think it's definitely worth a watch, especially for, well, many of them, but we're talking about Lizzie here. So, yeah, mm. definitely one of the high points, I think, of her film career, for sure. Um, same year, 2012, she would appear in several episodes of um, New Girl, um, the very, very popular New Girl, Zoe Deschanel centred um, American sitcom. She plays the character of Julia, who we mostly see in the first series as one of the sort of key love interest girlfriends of uh, one of the leads. I have watched this show and I do remember Lizzie in it. I I don't know how much she stands out. She's doing a grand job. Um, but it, it, that show is certainly more in that instance about the central players and maybe less interested in uh, in the likes of uh, Lizzie's part in it, but um, a good show to be in at the time, very popular, 
watched by a lot of people and still to this day certainly um, enjoyed by many. She then played Agent Lacey in the 2014 film The Interview. Now, The Interview is an interesting film, and we brought this up the other day, and I feel like you didn't remember this part of its history. So The Interview ended up having a legacy beyond what the film itself was. So it tells the story, again, Seth Rogen, James Franco, um, James Franco playing a TV interviewer journalist and then Seth Rogen is the producer character they're doing all of this celebrity scandally type interview stuff and then get criticized for not doing the hard-hitting stuff a situation falls into their lap where they can interview Kim Jong Kim Jong un the president of North Korea and they in pursuing that opportunity get approached by CIA agent um, Lacey, played by Lizzie Kaplan, to assassinate him um, because of yeah. the, the threat he poses to the rest of the world. Now, I guess even with that, and because they were using the real character of Kim Jong-un at this time, it was hugely controversial. North Korean government criticised it. And then there was an online group that hacked into Sony's servers and leaked a lot of stuff. So if you remember the Sony <gasps> leaks... Yeah, I that remember that because, bag. like, Scott Rudin... I, how Scott Rudin survived that for so long and Amy Pascal and all... Well, Amy Pascal did not survive it. Anyway, yes, I remember this. This, yeah, this part so I remember. Lots off the back of that. They leaked lots of films like um, Still Alice, I remember, being one of them. God, so, don't attack Julianne. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it, it created a massive fuss. And what happened with that is there, there was then threats made by this um, online group that was presumed to be, you know, affiliated with the North Korean government. That has been denounced as, as untrue by them. But mm. they suggested terror threats to theatres that would be showing this film. Um, and with that, the film was delayed. So it was set to be released in the autumn time of 2014. It was then pushed to December. There was kind of lots and back and forth and cinemas withdrawing that they would uh, show it at all because of the threat. Some cinemas then, or more kind of independent cinemas, sort of taking the opportunity, showing it when it became available in the UK. It was the, the start of 2015 that it was eventually available. But its main life became as a, an online thing. And a film that cost, I think, about £40 million to make made... Um, 44 million or certainly a lot more than that in digital rentals alone which in that market made it the highest ever for certainly sony um and then beyond that and the theatrical release it had you know i think 20 30 million more on top of that so was very successful but from a place that would not have happened if it wasn't for this controversy surrounding it no obviously there's big names in there and, and i'm sure it would have drawn people anyway but it was such a massive news story for months all around this kind of comedy that it took it in a whole different place and, and its legacy is then pretty unique. Now, I didn't watch the interview when it came out. <clears throat> Watched it for the first time today as we record. And its legacy is a lot more interesting than the film itself. You know, you can kind of get that that's a funny gag. 
they're sort of going for it. It has a political edge to it, even though it's done in this sort of um, bro-y, dumbed-down style of comedy. It objectifies the female characters, Lizzie Kaplan included, in her first scene. There's a close-up on her breasts. um, And even though it's it's emphasising the characters to be the assholes that they are, it's still a bit like, oh, okay, so Lizzie's going to be used in this way. But she is the sort of commanding presence dictating how things go. I'm sure it was a pretty fun role to play. But the film didn't do much for me beyond the interest of watching this product finally but i enjoyed watching lizzie as i have done in many cases yeah it's very silly like it's so silly and i i almost kind of just like i was on the ride like i i did properly laugh at a few bits but because i think they like the setup of some of the jokes were were quite funny, but um, yeah, I think the overall joke is is kind of long winded. There's a lot of long winded scenes in it, but um, yeah, yeah, and Lizzie's good. Yeah, it's kind of you know she is, you know, a sexy woman in charge, and and they literally James Franco can't look after his libido. Would you um, like a drink or some of? Aaron's cocaine. This is not our cocaine. This is no, I'm our... sure it's not. So, uh, how can we, uh, what can we do you for? Yeah, to what do we owe the pleasure? Well, yeah. Aaron, Dave, as I'm sure you know already, Kim Jong-un is now capable of nuking all of the West Coast. The point is, we're talking about nuclear nations at war with each other. You know, a, a few of the things have not aged well, mainly because it's Jane Franco sure. um, in that role. But him not being able to control his urge to, you know, want to fuck Lizzie is pretty grim. Yes, um, it, it certainly uh, casts a different shadow over the film. Because, yeah, I think the premise is... Really <laughs> oh, I thought we... you were taking a joke about his dick. Oh, the erection shadow. moment. Yes, yes, yes. Because there is a point where he's got a big erection in his pants. Hey, Larry's... Um, it is a fun premise though I'm kind of sad it didn't deliver on that I should say it's also directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg who collaborate a lot together Um, so very much their thing but yes interesting legacy a a film very much unique in that position and and what what happened to it and it's uh, how that kind of press pushed it in that way but also the things that came out the back of it uh, yes an interesting time indeed Mm. Um, so then moving on from 2013 through to 2016 Kaplan plays Virginia E. Johnson in Masters of Sex Um, Virginia E. Johnson a pioneering sexologist who worked alongside um, her partner William Masters who in the show played by Michael Sheen Uh, it's very much following their beginnings and career in sexology and trying to get to the heart of sexual urges and what drives sexual satisfaction and all of these things and you know it's a very polished show it's fun to watch from you know i think the first series that i watched back when it it initially came out um got a lot of acclaim herself included she got an emmy nomination for lead actress in a drama Um, and a lot of other nominations kind of came towards her from the show too. So a huge moment in her career, one that she took very seriously, her first time playing a real-life character, but there wasn't really a huge amount available to work from 
oddly considering her profile on sort of Virginia E. Um, Johnson that didn't necessarily know what she looked like or sounded like too much so trying to dig into her career in other ways and getting to know her through what she could and, and kind of get into the heart of it so she took it very seriously she took the responsibility of playing a real life um, character and put a lot into it uh, she also was a producer on the show as well so yeah a, a real significant moment in her uh, career and one of the big sort of television highlights certainly during this time she also appeared in shows such as the league we moved to 2015 she starred in the night before which was a christmas caper type comedy alongside joseph gordon levitt seth rogan once again and anthony mackey um, and then 2016, we see her get work in a big budget sequel to the magician heist film franchise, Now You See Me, in Now You See Me 2, where she plays Lula. So, I don't know if there's too much to say beyond these films. It's, it's a lot of kind of high-brow magicians, Vegas-style people who use their trickery and art of illusion to commit robberies, grand heists, stuff like that. Um, this sequel is much of the same again, but they get involved with um, a... Gosh, I can't even think how to replay it because I, I find these films pretty dreadful, but uh, Daniel Radcliffe as a billionaire... What is he up to again? It's so... I'm like, what is going on in this film? Can you can you even recall his sort of no? No, I watched this like ten days ago, and I can't tell you. What I do know is the first film. It wasn't Isla Fisher. Who is she replacing? Basically, yes. they needed yes, they Isla needed Fisher. a woman, yeah. and Isla Fisher didn't want to come back, or or was pregnant. I think actually in in a in a non jokey way, because I'm sure she would have come back. Um, but she couldn't for whatever reason, and they brought in Lizzie and. I, I would like Lizzie is an important part to like the trajectory of the story because that they kind of like her arrival is what sparks off what's happening and Jesse Eisenberg in the most sort of Jesse Eisenberg way is just who I, I just have no time for that man but he he just doubts her and thinks that she's whatever okay seriously how, how did you get in here are you some kind of crazed fan or something Oh my god, no, 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 I recognize you. You did that, you did that B-grade geek magic thing, didn't you? You pulled a, uh, a hat hmm. out of the rabbit. A hat out of the yeah, rabbit, that's I know right. That it didn't no, work. it was actually kind of disgusting. Oh, well, it was way worse for the rabbit. Yeah, well, your drop was obvious and your body shell is, is flimsy. So if you wouldn't mind crawling out from under my couch and... Ta-da, now I'm sitting over here. Crazy! By the way, that rabbit thing, that was like eight years ago, okay? I've gotten so much better since then. Have you? Yeah. And so she, at the start, she gets a few different tricks and or whatever you'd call it, magician uh, illusions, um, including like her hand being chopped off when she's pretending to be a chef. Um, and yeah, then Daniel Radcliffe turns up and there's uh, some whatever conflict and they have to solve it. And all the time she's having a romance with Dave Franco. Um, and that's really the film in a nutshell. I do think, again, she's playing like, I'm not like the other women. I'm like, I'm so cool. I can be part of your gang. And 
Yeah, she's good. She's like he's solid. But in this yeah. movie, there's there's so many people in it, and I I so it's like once you kind of go into it, then she's less f- yeah. of the focus, and you. I also think it's a sort of movie you can tell most of the people are doing it for money. Like there doesn't seem to be anyone really engaging with their characters or. But maybe I'm wrong, but that's the, that's the vibe, like, Woody Harrelson certainly, and Jesse Eisenberg are not doing it for much else but money, I would yeah. say. I mean, it's a fascinating one, because the first film is also as naff as this one is, and that's how I would describe them. I think they're terribly naff, but it's a fun idea, and maybe that's the hook of it. But the first one was so successful, and I, I can't really work out why the cast and the draw, and maybe, you know, people are sort of into this kind of crossing of two things to, to create something that could have been fresh and fun, but I, I do think they're just so wildly... And not that it bothers me that things are far-fetched, but this is wildly far-fetched in a way that's distracting. It's like that none of these things connect, but I hear what you're saying. It's sort of a, it's a, a cast of great, talented performers who you can sense it you know they're not really getting a huge amount out of it and it doesn't feel like they they're putting too much into themselves so yeah lizzie she's good in it but she's she's there you know that's like kind of, yeah, she's there she, she got paid she's part of this thing anyway the same year she starred in robert zemeckis's allied i haven't seen allied this is the brad pitt marion cotillard film have you got any thoughts you want to share on this one only that it's the sort of movie i have had like meaning to be to have watched for ages so i took the opportunity to watch it and it was very dull um <laughs> it wasn't very sexy it was all the things you thought like this sexy like world war Two, you know espionage thriller with beautiful people but um didn't work for me and I'm I'm not I'm not I'm a bit confused what about like the twist because to me I was like this is all very clear where this story is going <clears throat> and Lizzie plays Brad Pitt's sister and she's got her head screwed on she's trying to be helpful she's grand in it um you know it's it it is what it is I I, I certainly wouldn't recommend that movie I would say um yeah okay I'll although do you know what if someone really really loved it like I'm I'm there championing bachelorette so allied maybe does speak to certain people and i'd actually find it really fascinating to chat to someone who who liked it but like my main takeaway is marion has the most beautiful outfits in some scenes well great that's that is a win i do my sort of memory of it is that because of the cast and the time of this it certainly was an oscar buzzy kind of like oh this one's coming up will it be in conversations and ultimately was very very not so i think it's its legacy is not what we'd expect from a film of such caliber, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywho, what else has she got going on? 2017, she appears as herself in a cameo in The Disaster Artist. She reprises her role of Virginia Johnson as well, but this time in voice form for an episode of The Simpsons called Camp Crustier. And I believe this is where we see um, Virginia and Johnson and Dr. Masters telling Homer why he's so like bad at sex or something. So a kind of fun, in-the-moment type thing. Great to be in The Simpsons. I'm sure it's a, a nice tick on the old um, list for many performers. In 2018, she's in the sci-fi film Extinction, as well as the TV series sequel to Das Boot. 
In 2019, she stars in Castle Rock, um, which sounds fascinating and a weird one to have passed me by. So this is an anthology series based on Stephen King characters. So Castle Rock being the, the fictional place a lot of his things are set in. Um, she plays Annie Wilkes um, from King's novel Misery, made famous, of course, on screen previously by Kathy Bates on Oscar-winning form. Um, so I'm kind of almost fascinated to go and check that one out, but I'm I'm suspecting it's not spoken about as much in that I haven't really heard of it before that maybe it's not the, the greatest thing in the world. But a fascinating premise, all the same. Uh, she also starred in legal drama series Truth Be Told. In 2021, she voiced one of the main characters in Netflix's animated show Inside Job. And now we're kind of coming up to the very near... Um, near times, I don't know where I was going there, but in near 2022, times. the future, the future of, but now, uh, 2022, we have the rom-com, The People We Hate at the Wedding, she also stars as Libby in Fleishman in Trouble, now, this is one I'm disappointed I didn't catch up with, because it, it by all accounts, it could potentially be a great show, considering it has this plethora of Emmy nominations of the first series, I've seen that it had a pretty good reception critically. There's a lot of people who think it is a wonderful show. Um, and I was going to try and give it a bash. And I still intend to, actually. So I'm sad I didn't do it beforehand. But with watching the films did not really allow myself too much time. Claire Danes is also pending Emmy nomination. Um, is Jesse Eisenberg? Maybe he's not the lead then I in the rest of I don't think Jesse Eisenberg has an Emmy nom for it, but I believe he is the lead. And alongside Lizzie Kaplan is down uh, for lead performance. But that is a pretty tough field. So she's against Ali Wong for Beef, Jessica Chastain for George and Tammy, Riley Keough for Daisy Jones and the Six, Catherine Hand for Tiny Beautiful Things, and Dominique Fishback for Swarm. So I suspect... If she was to win in that category, then she must be doing something really great because just looking at Ali Wong alone for beef, I'm kind of like, well, yeah. that's... Liz, that Lizzie's is planning to sit great. down. She won't be standing. <laughs> um, but good luck to all the same, Lizzie. Yeah. Um, being nominated is winning. Being nominated is winning, as we're so often told. <laughs> yeah. In... 2023 she starred in the horror thriller cobweb um which is a film i have watched i think it's not the best horror film out there i think it's it's for eager fans of horror who like to go and watch all of these uh many offerings that that come out i i don't think it stands out in any way i sadly also don't think lizzie is at her best in it. it, oh, it when no. it when it was starting, I was like, "Oh, great! We're getting something very different from Lizzie." It's it's basically she plays a mother. We we see these parents and a and a young child um, who's being bullied at school, having a very hard time, and then we see his home life, and it, it he starts hearing things in the walls, and his parents get weirder and weirder and shiftier, and you know that something's going on. So I was quite excited to see Lizzie Kaplan in this form. She's playing far more, like, fragile, on edge. And initially I was like, oh, great, this is good. I'm excited I'm watching this. I'm going to see a different side to Lizzie. That's fun. However, I don't think it's a comfortable fit for her because something about it just didn't sit right. I don't think it was the most natural 
performance from her. I appreciate her trying something else, but didn't get too much out of it. The film is, you know, there's a somebody maybe living within the walls of the house and where it goes from there is fairly generic in the world of horror. So I wouldn't recommend it. But maybe people who consume more horrors than I will see more value in it than I did. Um, but it's not great. Okay. Well, you know, it's not talked about that. Like, I wouldn't even mm. know when we decided to do Lizzie, I didn't realise she had a film that had just come out. Yeah, so I knew this film was out, but only from listening to podcasts and it, it cropping up as one of the releases of the, you know, just a few months ago. But I, from that, didn't even know that she was in it. So I wouldn't have put two and two together in that way either. So it, I think it had a fairly sort of muted um, cinema run. But... Also this year, interestingly, and, and, you know, thinking about her playing Annie Wilkes in that Castle Rock show, she, she maybe has this sort of penchant desire to be playing iconic females in thrillers, you know, kind of the revivals, as this year we got her as Alex Forrest, made very famous by Glenn Close, in a remake of Fatal Attraction. So... Interesting. I don't know how that show's gone down. I don't know how great she is in that. I would love to think she's doing a fabulous job. Um, but I feel like we maybe would have heard more about it if it was the best show on telly. Mm. Uh, but maybe I'll dip in and, and see how she fares. But that's a, I mean, that's a tough legacy to be walking yeah. into. So it's quite a brave move, if anything, to, to, to step into those iconic shoes. Yeah, to be doing like Glenn Close's um, Alex Forster and Kathy Bates's Annie Will, like they're, I'm not saying she's doing the same performance, just those characters are so embedded in people's heads if they know this genre or they're interested in that sort of thing. Um, and they're also, I mean, Fail Attraction, you can talk about the ending and stuff like that, but they both hold up in terms of entertaining films for today. It's not like you'd you need any revival, but then... Maybe she is amazing in it, but she wasn't Emmy nominated for Fatal Attraction, so um, maybe that that's, that's all we need to know. Um, yes, but maybe just because she's so good in um, Fleishman in Trouble that she cancelled herself out, I don't know. Yeah. Um, in terms of what she has upcoming, she is set to star in a TV miniseries called Zero Day. Um one that I don't know too much about other than it has Jesse Plemons, Robert De Niro, Connie Britton, Joan Allen in the so cast. So really all untalented bunch of people. So uh, that sounds very, very promising. Yes, very talented bunch. Well, you, I feel like you were scoffing or something like one of no, those I was names joking. wasn't super I said, No, 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 no. I was saying untalented in a sarcastic way. No, that is an amazing... That's, that's better than she's had for the last, like, 20 years nearly. In her yeah. whole career, this will be the best or the most talented cast, perhaps, or most celebrated cast. Um, talent is subjective. Yeah, so but, hopefully um, Zero Day is something special. Um, but, and that takes us up to date. So how about we now casterize Michael, to the future for Lizzie? Now... We've gone and rewatched these films and dipped in here and there on the recommendation of the kind Martin. What would you like to see her do down the line? 
So I I really like this sort of chaotic energy and frustration as as we were talking about with say Mean Girls and Bachelorette. And I was thinking, I mean, she clearly wouldn't be the lead in this sort of movie, but a, a Safety Brothers film, like she would oh, fit great. really well yeah. in that world. And I don't, I can't really, like, to be honest, their stories and what they come up with so far anyway, I've been so removed from like my, the sort of stories I'm interested in, the sort of stories like I would be making myself or thinking to make. Um, but the, I'm always fascinated and like totally totally on board but i love the idea of like her being part of something equally as intense as good times and uncut gems um and just being a like really being put through the ringer in a in a really exciting way yeah it's actually really interesting you say that i'm just thinking about uncut gems and adam sandler and i could see her working very well with him not in the sort of shoddier comedy world that we get from him but when yeah. we see him on form like in Uncut Gems or Meyerowitz Stories or any of these things, I actually think their energies would be really great together in the right mm. thing. So maybe that's something I'd be interested to see with or without the safties. Um, yeah. I, and they look like brother and sister, kind of. Yeah, they, they, that could work. I'm into that, yeah. I'm not interested in that being a romantic thing, so brother and oh, sister no, works no. for me. Um, I also like the sort of chaotic energy, but I would like to see it dialed more into comedy some more just because I'm kind of hungry for that. And I'm going down a really obvious route. If we think about how delightful she was in, you know, Tina Fey written Mean Girls, I would love to see Tina Fey give us another amazing comedy or or it could be Kristen Wiig, Annie Mumolo type stuff. I, I'm thinking more female ensemble, but with something where there's a frantic energy, maybe lots of women in a working environment uh, maybe like a send-up of the fashion industry or something or another thing that came to my head was if we could see like and maybe this is like something that's planted from somewhere within bridesmaids but if we could see the sort of more rambunctious world of cabin crew being like an air hostess and these gang of women who maybe cause havoc on a plane and written by, say, Tina Fey or, or Kristen Wiig, or that kind of energy, I think, could be wonderful. So that's that's where my head went to with with what I'd want to say. Yeah. Do you know what I've done? I've recast, um, oh, why can't I think of it, the the Pedro Modavar, I'm so excited, but with, you know, SNL alumni, um, women, and I yeah. think that would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea for... For all those people, I mean, yeah. but for for Lizzie would be would fit that really well. Lizzie would be someone you'd be very excited to be sitting beside in an airplane. In terms of you think she'd be good crack. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I like that idea. Hopefully, someone out there is yeah. listening. AKA Tina Fey. Um, yeah. Anyway, that wraps up our episode on lovely Lizzie Kaplan. So, thank you to everyone for joining us once again. Michael, are you able to let folks know where they could find us if they wish to scream at us for missing anything in Lizzie's back catalogue, for example? Yes, you can find us at don't know her underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram or X. I still don't know. Yeah. Um, and you can email us at um, don't know her pod at gmail.com. Yes, thank you. And... I feel like this is strange for me to do this because you always do it, but I'll say it this time. We would love it if people 
out there who listen, if you like the podcast, please do share it with a friend, someone you think could get something out of it. Give us a five-star rating. That would be most appreciated on, on wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps for visibility, so we're told. So that's all very, very exciting. So if you would be so kind to do that, we would be immensely appreciative. And thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to you joining us again in the not-too-distant future for another star that we would love to be celebrated um, some more. So yes, my birthday now, episode. And it's your birthday episode, so it better be a good one. Do we get any hints? She's a legend in her own life. Well, what more could we want than that? In my own head. So that's that that could be anyone. Um, well then, join us to celebrate two legends Aww. in our next episode. Until then, have a lovely day wherever you are, and goodbye. Yes, goodbye. And again, thank you so much, Martin, for bringing Lizzie to our attention. Absolutely. Bye. Bye-bye-bye.